to have you back in for another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, the Chicago Cubs podcast. Cubs right now in the middle of a long road trip, 10 games in California, and it's not going so well. So we'll talk about the series in San Diego, the series thus far here in Anaheim, what to expect this weekend in San Francisco, and a whole bunch of news, big league players, minor league players, maybe potential Cubs all-stars on the docket. Uh, Jeremy, bad news here. We are Randallists. As we record the pod tonight, you know, he was talking to us all during the game. We are recording this later than usual after the second game loss in Anaheim. But I think he's fallen asleep and he is l- unlikely to join us here tonight on the pod. I, I agree with you. We're, we're sitting here waiting to see if Randall's going to show up. We've, we've been here for like 20 minutes. Just like, is Randall going to show up? He was tweeting with us. He, he said he, he could go all night. You know, he didn't have a problem potting after the game. Game ends. Randall immediately texts brutal loss. We all saw it. it was a brutal loss tonight. We're getting ready to go to the pod, and Randall disappeared on us. He's Where gone. He? We're Randall listens. Yep. It's a little scary to be honest, because but I, I just assume he fell asleep somewhere. Uh hopefully in a good location, and hopefully he gets a good night's rest. But uh hey, maybe he wakes up at some point and pops on. That could be a little surprise for any of our listeners if Randall just pops on in the yep. middle of the podcast. Uh we'll we'll be here for it. Well, it was time to record. So if he joins us, he joins us. It'll be a surprise, as you said, Jeremy, to everybody. Uh, If not, I just hope he's okay, because, again, this has been an awful road trip for the Cubs. Lots to get to on that front, but one more thing I want to note here. Happy birthday, Jeremy Spector. Your birthday was yesterday, June 6th. I'm sorry you did not get a Cubs victory this year. That's always a bummer, but we hope it was a good day for you. It it was generally a good day. Uh, I... uh... Had, you know, a little birthday celebration, got to go out with the family, have some dinner, come back, watching the Cubs game, and basically coming back right in the middle of the fifth inning as they're blowing it. Uh, so that was not the best timing. But, uh, yeah, Cubs uh, did all, you know, they couldn't just hold it on. They had some bad defense last night, but I did get some good things. I, I got this nice Dansby Swanson Dansby, uh, jersey. All right. Dansby Swanson from my father. That uh, I'm currently wearing on the podcast, but that was a nice little B day gift, a Dansby Swanson jersey. Yes, I was wondering. I noticed that you had the jersey top on. I did not believe that you had a Cubs jersey with the Nike logo on it. Is, am I correct in saying that this is your first Cubs jersey with the new uniforms with the Nike? This is definitely the first uh, Cubs Nike jersey I have had. The last uh, jersey also was a birthday gift for my father. It was a Javi Baez in a Majestic in about 2019, which I got about, you know, two years of three years of use out of plus that COVID year was one of those years. But uh, hopefully the Dansby with the seven year contract gets a little more value out of this jersey. Yes. Um, Did your dad say anything about the jersey purchase? I beforehand definitely not like it was no. surprising me i didn't know it was Excellent. coming and then he, he gave it to me and he was like yeah he goes he goes actually the one thing he goes, he goes i was a little surprised to see how many suzukis were out there a lot of suzukis <laughs> were up there and he's like you know i'm like yeah i guess say as a popular guy and he goes yeah it was between horner suzuki and swanson and i picked swanson and i'm like yeah. and he just picked it i don't know why i picked swanson but he picked swanson so i'm going with the da- dancey rocking the dancey i'm a dancey fan so i'm happy yeah. with it and he's having a great start to his Cubs career, so yeah. I'm all for it. Absolutely. Um, there may have been a phone call in the last couple of days here, a little scouting trip, if you will, regarding that jersey. But uh, very happy to end up being oh, Dan wow. Swanson go. going Surprising. to you. Yeah, I didn't hear about that. So you got your Cubs jersey on. 
presumably Randall's got his Cub uh, PJs on right now as he's uh, getting into bed right now. He's got his jammies on, unfortunately not joining us tonight. Uh, but like we said here, the, the Cubs are in the midst of a really difficult stretch of baseball. Um, if not their hardest road trip of the year, at least the second hardest, certainly the longest of the year, 10 games all in California against teams that I would say themselves are expecting to be playoff bound, right? Now, other fan bases might not say that the Giants are necessarily going to be playoff bound or Anaheim for that matter, but all three of these teams expected to be somewhat competitive this year and a 10-game trip to California is rough. I was listening Monday night, uh, Pat and Ron were saying, man, it feels like we've already been on this road trip for more than a week. The Cubs got to San Diego Wednesday. They had an off day Thursday, then a four-game set against a team that many think could win a pennant this year in the National League, including a series that ended on a Monday night. So all of that, a trip up the coast to Anaheim and then later this weekend to San Francisco, we knew this was going to be a difficult stretch of baseball for the Cubs. They split in San Diego. They dropped the first two here in Anaheim. And then as of recording here tonight, Jeremy, they're 26 and 35. The Cubs are seven and a half games out of first place. We are still in the first week of June, but it feels like the season's really slipping away. Yeah, it does feel like this season is slipping away. We talked about it last week. We titled it after that great, uh, you know, John Feinstein book uh, about the Bobby Knight at Indiana University, uh, a season on the brink, because that's what it felt like last week. Like, we're right on the brink of things right here. This is the moment. This is the make or break moment of where this season is going to go. We're on this 10-game road trip. As you said, yeah, the Padres, were they're not playing – Pretty well, all that well so far, but they got a ton of talent on that team. They're expected yeah. to be one of the top teams in the league. And then you look at the Angels and the Giants, as you mentioned, like those are two teams that are currently over 500. I mean, Giants won game over 500, but they're over 500. They're playing competitive baseball. And the Angels, we know about the talent. We know about Otani. We know about Trout. So this is a tough situation to get to go into. You got to go on this West Coast road trip, 10 straight games. But if you want to be a team, in my opinion, you want to be a team that's competitive in the National League. You want to be a team that can make the playoffs. You got to win against yeah. competitive teams. You can't like, yeah, you can maybe get by by just, you know, beating up on all the weak teams. And then you you make your way into the playoffs and you get bounced early. But you know, now with the balanced schedule, you don't get to just sit around and beat up on the NL Central, who has actually been kind of stronger as of late than we expected coming into the season. You got to have to go out and you're going to have to beat these competitive teams. And this is a tough stretch. And unfortunately, so far, they're two and four to start this with uh, it looked pretty good. They won two of the first three games in San Diego and then hasn't looked so good once they got to Los Angeles or Anaheim. But uh this is it. This is kind of that make or break moment. Like we want to know, are the Cubs going to be sellers in July? Like that was a thing for me last week. I talked about Cubs should not be selling three years in a row. I, I'd actually like to get your opinion on that, Ronan. Because mm -hmm. for me, if the Cubs are selling three years in a row at this point, we were disposing. Like I'm kind of starting to think like this reset or whatever you want to call it. It's not a rebuild. It's reset. Like that's kind of failing right now, in my mm -hmm. opinion, which I put on the general manager or excuse me, the team president, Chad Hoyer. But uh, like I if we're Cubs are selling in July, that is a big negative for me. Yeah, I think they will be selling in July because as bad as this road trip is, it doesn't get easier when they get home next week. You've got nine straight games with teams that right now would be in the playoffs. That's Pittsburgh and Baltimore. After that, you've got Seattle, Philly, Cleveland, Milwaukee, and the Yankees going into the All-Star break. This is a very brutal stretch of baseball against a whole number of teams, maybe not St. Louis right now with where they're at, that are very much in playoff contention at this juncture in the season. So it could very easily get away from them. And I do want to talk about the likelihood of them selling 
selling. And there's a couple of players that you guys talked about last week, and I've got some thoughts on. But to your initial point there, how is it that here we are again, the Cubs are looking to be sellers, and what does it say sort of about the health of the organization? Where I would go, and I know you're critical right now of Jed. I know you're critical of Carter. You're upset with David Ross. I still feel it is broader than that. It is bigger than that, and it starts with ownership. And what I mean by that is that I feel that if ownership wants to get serious about winning, it starts with increased payroll, getting into that luxury tax, and I think very quickly the Cubs can be competitive. And I felt, despite the rhetoric we heard at the start of the offseason, where Crane was going out and saying there'd be money available, where Tom Ricketts was going out and saying there would be money available, it was obvious that there really wasn't substantial money available for the Cubs to fix all of the issues that they've had. And now here we are, the beginning of June, the corner outfield is, what, 10 combined home runs, I think, from left and right field for the Cubs right now. That's not what you want, even though you got some power in center with Cody. The corner infield is a complete disaster. And how is it that in 2023, the Cubs have not found any type of big league position player to replace Anthony Rizzo or a big league position player to replace Chris Bryant over at third base? Patrick Wisdom, it's not working out. There's no surprise. We're on year three of Patrick Wisdom. That's insane. What they've done at first base, it, it's a black hole right now, and that's one of the most important offensive positions you have. So I understand the frustration with Jed. I understand people being annoyed with some lineup decisions with Ross. But I feel until ownership gets serious, look, we really want to win. This is what you're going to get. And the difference in that is instead of going out with more money to spend last offseason, and maybe you get Christian Vasquez or you go and you get Sean Murphy with the intention of extending him. You get Tucker Barnhart and you do that three, four, five times over and you've got a 90 loss team. And right now this is a 90 loss team. So my frustration is more with Tom Ricketts not opening up things for Jed Hoyer than with Jed Hoyer trying to like nickel and dime a roster that unfortunately is not very good. I understand that. I, I do. And I, and I, I, I don't disagree with you in the fact that i think that um the spending the cups should be spending more i don't i don't disagree with that they should be going into the luxury tax it's ridiculous that they're not in my opinion of course the one thing that unfortunately can't be changed because we tom ricketts is not going to fire himself like that's not going right. to happen right so for just from the sake of argument of like what do we want to do that could actually change this team it's like tom ricketts is not going to fire himself but then I come back to the fact that the Cubs do are they are putting like around two hundred million dollars into this team right now. This team should not be this bad. Like if you're going to spend two hundred million dollars, you should have a much more competitive team, in my opinion. Not a team that's pretty much on last place in the league in the NL. Yeah. Like you, the Cardinals, who nobody thought would be down there. But then it's the Cubs. Like look at the season the White Sox have had. They've had a terrible season. They got a little bit. High. The Cubs are now behind the White Sox. They have a worse record currently than the White Sox do. And that's just unfortunate to me based on the season that the White Sox have had. So yeah, I understand Tom Ricketts. I agree with you. They got to spend the money. It's ridiculous that they, they weren't able to go out and get some of these guys. Like I, I, I was not like a huge Tucker Barnhart fan. I understand the, he's a good, decent solid defensively. He's been awful at the plate. He's been, terrible like i did two years to get tucker barnhart i agree yeah. with you. that is ridiculous like and now we actually have not to get off track a little bit but we have a guy who has kind of developed and looks like a solid future piece 
And it's like, well, what are you going to You have Jan Gomes and Tucker Barnhart back next year. You got to figure that out with Miguel Amaya, mm-hmm. who's now coming up as, you know, an actual piece. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Third base, big problem. Got to figure out what's going yeah. on third base. I don't hate Patrick Wisdom, but he, he's not. He should not be the everyday third baseman. I was willing to give Mervis the chance, and I'm still willing to give Mervis a chance at first base. I wish they actually went out and got but I was much more excited about Mancini at the start of the year. I was very high on him and I, he's been terrible. He's been absolutely yeah. horrible. I said it when they DFA'd Hosmer, like right before that Mancini has been worse in my opinion. He's been, it wasn't worse than Hosmer when they DFA'd him. Uh, so I agree with you on all that. It's just, it's been very frustrating. And when the Cubs are selling three years in a row, at some point, I do think you have to reevaluate like everything, like something's not working. They're yeah. not being competitive and they should be competitive. And I think everybody is open. In my opinion, you have to evaluate everybody. You can't just, you know, oh, well, he's the guy or whatever. I, that's just my opinion. I think it starts at the top. Obviously, the top is Tom, but then Jed's the next guy. So everybody yeah. has to be evaluated. Um, I saw this stat here. Connor sent this over, listener of the podcast. And I think this sort of sums up Patrick Wisdom. And I don't love getting into super small sample sizes. It's only the first week of June. But since the middle of April, the last 140 plate appearances for Patrick Wisdom, he's got 56 strikeouts and 20 hits. You know, he had a very hot start the first two weeks of the year. It seemed like he was hitting a home run every other day while Christopher Moe was hitting a home run every other day in the minor leagues. Patrick Wisdom has been very, very bad for the majority of this season. And when you've got no offensive production from first base, no offensive production from third base, a carousel of incompetence at DH, and, like, it's not that I hate Happ or Suzuki. I like them both, but they're not big-time power hitters in big-time offensive positions. When you have that combination, it's not going to be good. And right now this team's on pace for 70 wins. I'll say this, though, I think about the fan base. I think the Cubs fan base had too high of expectations coming into the year with this team, and they kind of got off to a decent start. Like the first, what, 10 or 14 days of of the season, they were playing decent baseball. Like right now, this team is on pace for 70 wins. The schedule is lighter in September. So you call up a couple of guys, you get hot, you beat up on teams like the Rockies down the stretch of the year, and suddenly this is a 76-win team. Right? That's pretty much where they were projected to be, mid to high 70 wins. This is sort of what we were expecting. So I think some of this from Cubs fans is, well, they were outperforming a little bit early, expectations went up, and now as the team crashes back to reality, there's a bitterness that gets developed within the fan base. And it doesn't help that, yeah, this is three years in a row of really bad baseball on the north side. You're right. Yeah, that, that's that's a fair point that, uh, yeah, the Cubs did get off a good – Pretty good start. They, as as Jed said today, they had one good month, one awful month. Yeah. April and May, uh, being the good and awful month. Uh, I, I, but yeah, it's it's been bad since you mentioned Patrick Wisdom, and I actually thought we thought at the beginning of the year, uh, at least I did, was you know he wasn't actually striking out that much. It seemed like he had cut down on the strikeouts. He was making more mm-hmm. contact. I don't know. I haven't really del- dove into it. I don't know how. The pitchers have probably adjusted to that, and he hasn't adjusted back necessarily. But lately, it's been it's been bad. It's been brutal watching him because there I, there have been pitches where I'm like, Patrick Wisdom April would have just hit that 500 feet, and he 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 can't even get a hold of it. And then uh, to me, the guy had seemingly I mean they weren't playing their best baseball when it happened, but the but the guy was seemingly it seems like it changed kind of the direction of this team when he got hurt was Cody Bellinger. Yeah. Uh, 
my, I'm, not, I'm not hating on Mike Talkman. He's had some decent plate appearances, whatever. But I feel like even the defensively, Cody Bellinger was just a wizard out there. Like that was a big part we talked about when they signed him. Was he's gonna? It's gonna maybe increase the Cubs by like two wins just by his defense. And we, I, you see that with Talkman. Like there are balls that Bellinger would get to that Talkman is nowhere close to, and happen Suzuki can't cover for him there. And I think that's been a huge part of it. But yeah, it, it's it's completely disappointing. Oh, it's the direction that this is going right now is it's hard to be optimistic. It's hard to look yeah. at that schedule coming up, as you mentioned, for the next month going into the trade deadline in July and thinking they're not going to be selling. Uh, like that's a, it's a bitter pill to swallow, but that's kind of how it is. And as, as I said, if they want to be a competitive team, you have to beat competitive teams. You can't like, they're going to face Pittsburgh, as you mentioned, like, yeah, Pittsburgh has been probably been playing better than them. But at the end of the day, if they want to finish ahead of Pittsburgh, you have to beat those guys. Yeah. Like you have to do that. So it's just been disappointing. And I, I, I'm glad we got your thoughts on that from last week mm-hmm. of uh, just kind of the state. I feel like these Cubs organizations in because, you know, I, we're going to go into 2024 and we're, yeah. I don't know if we know like if that team's going to be a competitive team or not, or we're going to have to sit through another year of something like this. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that's a perfect segue here into potentially selling off pieces. I do think the Cubs are going to be sellers here, especially guys with expiring contracts. Cody Bellinger, an obvious case. I want to get your thoughts on Marcus Stroman in a minute. But the one thing that I think about with selling again for the Cubs here is this is already a team with holes. So if you sell guys or you move on from guys that you have no intention of bringing back next year, yes, you're dropping payroll or salary or things like that. And yes, you're bringing in prospects, but that's another big league slot that needs to be filled in the off season, presumably with somebody not in the organization or maybe somebody in the minors who can graduate up to the majors in the next couple of months, but guess someone who's not on the current team who needs to be replaced by somebody who's better. So that brings us to Marcus Stroman. He has had a fantastic season for the Chicago Cubs here. Pat was saying the other night, a lot of tripping right now, Marcus Stroman potentially could start the all-star game this year for the national league. It's a real possibility that he'll be in the mix for starters in the national league. Trivia question, Jeremy, do you remember the last Chicago Cubs pitcher to start an all-star game? The last Cubs pitcher to start an all-star game. Let me, let me, let me try to be, I'm trying to remember. I remember Esteban Luiza doing it for the white Sox. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, I don't think Arietta did it. I'm just going to take a shot at dark. I'm going to say Ryan Dempster. Oh, wow. So very interesting guess there. I heard this trivia question the other night in the Cubs broadcast. This blew my mind. Only one time in Chicago Cubs history have they had a starter in the National League All-Star game. It was 1946. Oh, wow. So way yeah. ago. Way, way long time ago. 37-year-old Claude Pato, the only Chicago Cubs starting pitcher to ever start the All-Star game. And that question got thrown out in the booth. And what I was thinking was Fergie Jenkins, right? At some point, maybe Fergie Jenkins would have started an all-star game with all those great years that he had. Greg Maddox, right? Was there a year in there where he had started it? That never happened. The other year that I was thinking about, you mentioned 2003. That game was on the south side at Comiskey Park. Two Cubs pitchers were on that all-star team, Kerry Wood, Mark Pryor. They both appeared in the game but neither started. And it was Esteban Loaiza on the south side for the White Sox that started. So only one time in Cubs history... Had they had an all-star starting pitcher, 1946, and the guy was 37 years old. I thought that was just an amazing way of it kind of coming full circle. Claude Passo, 
that guy's name. But anyway, Marcus Stroman, yeah, a potential all-star starter this year for the Chicago Cubs. What do you do with Marcus Stroman? Because it, to me, he is the most valuable piece the Cubs have right now to move here at the deadline, especially with the way he's been playing. I, Yeah, he's definitely a valuable piece to move at the deadline. But in my opinion, and I – I think if the Cubs, if if you are in this position where you have to decide and you're going to trade Marcus Stroman right now, first of all, a guy who said that he really want, he loves playing in Chicago. Yeah. He wants to accept. He's come out. He said that he, I know people, he tweets about it all the time and you're always, people, some, you know, a lot of people are cynical and they'll say like, well, of course he's going to, you know, say nice things about the, his hometown fans and all that stuff. But it seems pretty genuine to me that he really yeah. wants to stay. You look at what the Cubs have going into 2024 or the next couple of years of trying to be competitive pitching. Yeah, they have some guys in the minors, but what what do they have in 2024? They have Jameson Tyone, who has pitched better the last two starts, I think, but has kind of struggled, especially after that groin injury. You know, Hendricks is gone. They uh, Drew Smiley, I, I, maybe he has a mutual option back next year, mm-hmm. but really there's like nothing that's going to be like next year, like Wesneski. Yeah. But Wesneski, you know, he lost his, his starter spot. I think uh, Justin seal will be around. I hopefully if he doesn't have Tommy John surgery, but uh, I think, I think you need, if you're going to be competitive next year, you need Marcus Stroman on that team. You have to. And for a guy who's been vocal about wanting to stay in Chicago, he has a player option. So even if he does not get traded, I think there's a chance he takes the player option because he might try to work out a contract. He likes being in Chicago. I don't I don't just think it's necessary. I'm not going to say it's, you know, he's going to do it. I just don't think it's necessarily a 0% chance he's not going to do it. I, I I so I think what you do in my opinion, I think you try to work out an extension here. I I I know Jed has said he'll he'll they'll 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 check in on him and they'll have talks. Uh he did not really seemingly try to work out extensions with Bryant, Baez, you know, even Contreras in tw- last year before they got traded. But I think if you want to be competitive in 2024, this is a guy Jed brought in, all right? He brought him in on this three-year deal with that option the last year. I He's 32 years old. He's having one of the best seasons of his career. And if you if you can't find a room for him to be on a competitive Cubs team and that you want to have happen in 2024, in my opinion, then your reset has failed. What was the point of bringing in Marcus Stroman? Because I don't think the point of bringing Marcus Stroman in was to just get a prospect for him. Because I don't think if I don't think anywhere he gets traded, he's probably declining his player option because he's not going to be like I, I could see him possibly picking up for the Cubs because he's been here, he's made a life for himself here a little bit, he loves it. But like a half season rental, you know, he's going to be. I want to go into free agency, especially if he's pitching yeah. really well and being an all star. Um, so I don't think you're going to get like a super top end prospect for him. Like it wasn't like, you know, we saw Wilson Contreras. I mean, we saw what we, we you know, Cubs got Pete Crow Armstrong pretty solid for Javi Baez, but it was also Javi Baez and Trevor Williams. And, you know, Pete Crow Armstrong was hurt that year. So I, the Mets were probably down on him, but I, that's just my opinion. I think if you want to be competitive, like we want to see a Cubs team in 2024, that is going to try to win baseball games. I don't see how you can do that and not have Marcus Stroman on the team. Cause as yep. you said, then you got to bring in another person. And there's yeah. already this Cubs rotation next year. It's pretty empty. And if you trade away Marcus Stroman, that's another hole. Yeah, it's a big hole too, the way that he's been playing. Uh, open market. He will be 33 next year. I think there's no question if Marcus Stroman is a free agent going into next year, he will have no problem getting at least five, maybe a six-year deal here. 
So from a Cubs perspective, do you want to lock in Marcus Stroman through age 36, 37, potentially age 38? Or is there a big risk with that? Because that feels like the other end of it. Like, yeah, I would love a three-year extension here for Marcus Stroman. Overpay him if you have to, lock him in for three years. Once you start talking five, six, seven years, you're talking upper 30s Marcus Stroman on a team that the Cubs better be competitive by like 2027, right? Or 2028. Yeah. Is there a concern there with regards to an extension that you're really getting the upper 30s of his career? Yeah, and I hope if the Cubs are not competitive by 2027 that you uh, you <laughs> might turn a little bit on Jed Hoyer. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, um, that's fair. Uh, I think so for me personally, I, I think that I honestly think that Stroman, I, five years, I would seem a little bit much to me, yeah, especially six, but I, I think Stroman's a guy who probably will age pretty well. First of all, he's a pretty good athlete. We've seen it. Secondly, secondly, he's not really a guy that gets by on like overpowering people. He's a guy that gets by on getting sinkers, getting ground balls, you know, the, that type of stuff. He's not like a huge strikeout guy. Yeah. So I think he will age pretty well. I don't think he's going to age and just like all of a sudden drop off unless you run into some arm injuries, which all pitchers are at risk for. But, you know, he he's really the only injury he ever had in his career, I believe, was kind of an ACL injury on like a fluke play. And he missed like six. I think he, he didn't miss that much time. He missed like eight months or something. He came back real quick, I remember, uh, from that ACL injury. And so I, I he's a guy I would put five years. Yeah, that's probably pushing it for me. But I would I would look to tie him up. I think you can get him, and I think I think he does want to be a Cub. So I I don't know if three years necessarily will do it, but I think you can get him like a four year, and maybe they could figure out something creative like they did yeah. the first time. You know, they did him the two years, and he got a player option for that third year. So mm-hmm. maybe they can figure out some creativity, and maybe you give him an opt out or something in the middle of it. Like, uh, not that I I mean I I'd rather not give him an opt out personally, but maybe you can kind of if you give him an opt out, then maybe it's like four years or something. I don't know. But uh, I I um I I I just think like for what the Cubs have next year I I will be very disappointed to trade Marcus Stroman because to me if you're trading Marcus Stroman it's kind of a signal to me that we're not really going to be competitive again in 2024 unless wow. we go out and we have to get a Marcus Stroman quality starter and then we have to get more starters again so yeah. like we already have Marcus Stroman and he says he wants to be here so unless you're getting like because I don't anticipate getting a prospect that the Cubs can plug and play necessarily and be as, you know, I don't know. I mean, they were going to possibly get Jose Urquidy last year for Wilson Contreras, but like, I, I don't, I just don't, I don't anticipate like getting yeah. like the guy who's going to replace Stroman. Uh, he's very fun to watch, especially yeah. when he's on. And it, there are certain guys over the years, think of all the players Pat Hughes has watched play Chicago Cubs baseball, good and bad players too, right? Especially as pitchers. Uh, There's a giddiness that Pat Hughes gets with some of these defensive plays that Marcus Stroman makes that it's just very pure. I really enjoy listening to it and just sort of getting excited through Pat at some of these plays that Stroman makes. Uh, Can you think of a better defensive pitcher that you've seen in your years watching Cubs baseball? Uh, Watching the Cubs, I mean, Stroman is is pretty great. I mean... Obviously, I didn't really watch him in his prime with the Cubs necessarily, but Greg Maddox was a yes. fantastic defensive pitcher, and he was a fantastic defensive pitcher when he did come back at the end of his career with the Cubs. He still had uh, a pretty great defensive, uh, you know, 
arsenal, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. Victor, I actually, uh, I always loved, and I still think about it all the time. All the time was the multiple times that Kerry Wood like stabbed like a comebacker behind his back, like a yes, ground ball. Yes, but like he would like reach behind his back and stab it. I mean, and it, it, he did that multiple times. I recall. Yeah. And I, that always, like, I think about it all the time because I feel like he's the only guy I've ever really seen do that, uh, doing it. And he did it multiple times. I think he did it a couple times in the series against Atlanta in 03. Um, so, like, those are the guy type of guys I think about when you talk about the best defensive pitchers uh, that, you know, being in the Cub. But, uh, yeah, Stroman's been fantastic. And and he he does. he There are times when he's on the mound. and he, he Did you see the little Soto strut he gave? Oh yeah. Uh, after striking out Soto, like it's <laughs> enjoyable. I, you know, some people might like, like it, but I do like, you know, he's outspoken and there are times you're like, okay, like I don't need to see everything you tweet, dude, but he's fun to watch on the mound. And I, I, yeah. he's fun to watch as a player. So I, I do approve of any, he, he seemingly loves Wrigley and loves being a cub. So like, I, I mean, I don't know if we got your opinion on what, how you feel about whether or not they should trade him or not. But to me, I, I would be, I will be very disappointed if they trade him because I think they need him to be competitive. Yeah, I'm torn on it, and this is this is a, I think this is a challenging call for Jed, but it's like Jed, this is what you get paid for, right? This yes. is exactly what, and you need to get this right. If you're moving Marcus Stroman here, uh, I expect the Hall to be coming back, and I expect you to be able to fill that with a competent starter moving forward. And I'm 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 more optimistic on Jamison Tyone not to replace Strowman, but I think he's going to end up being better than we've seen up to this point. Like I, I don't think we've seen what Jamison Tyone is going to be as a Cub, and I do think that that's going to improve. But you've got to get it right here with Marcus Strowman. And the big fear that I have in moving on from him is more so how do you replace it for next year? And now we've already got a team that is likely going to have a hole in center field going into next year, is going to have a hole at third base is probably going to have a hole at first base, is probably going to need to fill out a DH. This bullpen has been a complete disaster, so there's going to have to be an overhaul there. Now you're talking about an ace, top-level starting pitcher. Suddenly it's a very busy offseason to get competitive for 24. So that's that's where I'm torn with it, because on one hand, Stroman is the optimal sell-high candidate. He's pitching the best that he has in his career. He's looking great. And every team that's competitive is going to want to add Marcus Stroman here down the stretch to try and win a World Series. On the other hand, can we have four straight disastrous seasons in Chicago? That should not be happening with this team. So that that's where I'm at with Marcus Stroman. And I hope, uh, I hope Jed gets it right. What I also hope here is that Marcus stays healthy. Right, yes. just stay because an injury in the next two weeks would be a total disaster, and I don't want that to happen here. And I would love to see him on the mound in Seattle representing the National League. For as bad as this year has been for the Cubs, it, there would be a reward there seeing a Cubs starting pitcher in the All Star game, a little moral victory for the organization, and then maybe a sign that they can hang on to him. Right. I just, I just like you. It just comes back to me. If this were twenty twenty one. Marcus Stroman, I makes perfect sense to get rid of him. I like, you know, obviously. Even, you know, I, I remember actually being disappointed when they traded Jeff Samarja, not not because of the hall or anything, but because I thought like that's a guy you can kind of keep around and build around if you want to be competitive. So it's kind of a similar feeling. Um, but to me, it's like we don't have any pitching <laughs> next year. Not not yeah. any pitching that's so far you can really depend on. We have, you know, Wesneski, Ben Brown seems to be making a move. Cade Horton might be coming up faster. Who knows? Uh, Justin Steele, obviously right. 
and I agree with you. I think Jamison Tyone, I don't think we've seen the best of him. I think he's actually pitched better the last couple of days, um, last couple of starts today and against San Diego. But it's like if you, as you said, if you get rid of Marcus Stroman, you not only have to fill those holes because we don't have that much pitching, not only in terms of uh, quality, but also quantity. Like there's very, there's only, only like two guys, three, you could probably automatically pencil in next year being Tyone and Steele. And then who else is it? You have a couple options, as I mentioned on Hendricks and, and, and Smiley, which I think is a mutual option. But other than that, it's like, what is it? So you got to get the quality and you got to get the quantity. And so that's to me, it's like, if they trade Stroman, I'm very disappointed, but yeah, that's just how it is. And I agree with you. Like we got to start at some point. This team has to be competitive. It has to. Otherwise, as I said, this whole thing's a failure and you can't go into 2024. And if it's going to be another four years, man, even, even the first rebuild, uh, you had, you had 11, which was like when they were just starting, you had 12, 13, 14. So you can kind of get four years there, but like this was supposed to be not, this was not supposed to be four years. This was supposed to be quicker. So I, yeah, I, to me, I, I think you got to keep Stroman. I, I, unless you get just totally overwhelmed by something. A few other potential trade candidates, certainly Cody Bellinger, who's on an expiring contract is a name that's going to pop up. I would think Drew Smiley with the way that he's been playing, the Cubs will probably get some calls on Drew Smiley. And I don't think that's a guy that's untouchable for the Cubs, right? So if you get a call on him, maybe that's the move you make there. Um, Talking about the backlog at catcher, Miguel Amaya has been fun and he hit the ball hard tonight. It didn't always land Mike uh, Trout with a couple of nice plays out in center field today, but it's been fun to watch that. Do you think that makes a guy like Jan Gomes expendable for the Cubs this year? I actually do thinking about it because I, for me, for Miguel Amaya, it's like, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth on this. Like I'm not a Tucker Barnhart fan, right. No. In terms of <laughs> is anybody him, right. And so I would rather have Miguel Amaya on the roster than Tucker Barnhart. Right. You, you obviously, cause you would think he's a better player, whatever, but then I'm sitting there thinking about it. Like, well, Tucker Barnhart plays maybe once a week. So like, what's Miguel Amaya going to do? Just sit on the bench, like getting rid of Tucker Barnhart to, bring in Miguel Amaya is he's not going to play ever. So I'm thinking like, if you, if you want Amaya to play, he's got to kind of replace Gomes. Uh, so I could see like Gomes, they do have an option on him for next year. And so I don't necessarily think they'll trade him this year. Uh, Cause I don't know if they just want to turn. I don't think they want to just turn it over to Miguel Amaya right now, but sure. maybe in the off season or something, like I could see him being more expendable if somebody's interested in getting a catcher. And that's actually like one kind of, very positive story from this year is Miguel Amaya turning himself back into a serious prospect after all those injuries and playing himself into the Cubs plans. And they probably did not go into the the year thinking, well, we have our catcher of the future, but they might. I mean, I have not seen anything from Miguel Amaya this year that suggests to me that he's not a serious prospect. He hits the ball hard. The pitchers all say they like throwing to him. He looks positive. I haven't really dove into his, catching mechanic or excuse me, catching numbers, framing numbers, but it looks solid so far. And so I think Miguel Amaya is a serious, you know, prospect for the Cubs. And I, I think, you know, I think, yeah, I do think it makes Jan Gomes a little more expendable. I don't necessarily think at the deadline now, but I could see in the off season them possibly trying to move him. Here's a guy that, uh, I, this may irritate when Randall wakes up and listens to this podcast, this one might irritate him. I think a lot of Cubs fans might be put off by this, but this is a question that came up with a couple other Cubs fans. I was chatting with, uh, would you listen to calls on Christopher Morrell? I would, 
I think I would. Uh, not that I don't like Morel, and not that I, I, I have, I just, and I, I do think it was a little bit ridiculous just the way he's come out and exploded that he was not the team to start with. Yeah. But if somebody really wants Christopher Morel, I, I'd be fine with that. I'm not like beholden to him as having a spot on this team. I think he's a kind of a fun prospect. He kind of, I'm not going to say he came out of nowhere because people knew about him, but he kind of just showed up last year and started playing pretty well. But I'm still kind of skeptical and I still don't know where you play him. Right. Is he an infielder? I don't know. I don't necessarily think he's an outfielder. So I, I would listen on Christopher Morrell. I definitely would. And I, I don't know if like somebody would really make a trade, but I could see him being part of a larger trade. Sure. Yeah. I I'm not tied to him in the way that I think a bunch of other Cubs fans are mm-hmm. Uh main reason being the home runs every other day is not sustainable and no. he has slowed down there. The 35% strikeout rate is a major problem. Right, that could be sustainable in the way of like that could not go away. That's a real possibility. A lot of hitters struggle with that, and the fact that he doesn't have a lockdown defensive position, I think, works against him. Like he can sort of play a couple of positions, but we've seen some real issues in center field with him this year. Like the the, the drop off to your point a moment ago with Cody Bellinger leaving has been a huge black hole, and it's been a position the Cubs have frankly struggled with since the end of Dexter Fowler. Right, like since he has left the organization, the Cubs have really struggled to figure out what's going on in center field. We've seen a little bit of the light here with Cody Bellinger. Now he gets hurt, and it's back to a, a real difficult spot for the Cubs. So I think that hurts Christopher Morel. He's not a great center fielder. His best position is probably second base, and second base is not a problem for Chicago Cubs right now. The middle infield has been one of the triumphs of the team this year. So I would listen to it. I mean, it's I'm not saying by any means it's a priority to move. Christopher Morrell, but that's one of those pieces that if he solidifies a trade of somebody else to bring back more talent, I definitely think you've got to listen on that. Um, and, yeah. and you make a good point about um, center field. Uh, the fact that the Cubs seemingly have decided they'd rather go with Mike Talkman Talkman in center field over Christopher Morrell sure. kind of speaks to how they feel about to me, how they feel about him defensively in center field. And you have Saya locked up, you have, Ian Happ locked up, so he's probably not going to be a corner outfielder, and I don't necessarily know if he can play those spots because he's kind of struggled to play him a little bit this year. And as you said, he's not going to be a middle infielder. I mean, you could try him at third base, but the Cubs haven't tried him at third base, so maybe it speaks to that, that they don't think he's really a third baseman. So, yeah. like I said, I don't necessarily think that like somebody's going to call me like, ooh, we really want Christopher Morrell, but I could see in, in the context of a larger trade and trying to make pieces match – and trying to see, like, okay, like, yeah, Christopher Morrell's here. Like, would you be interested in him? You're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like, if to try to get something done on a larger trade, yeah, definitely. I would not be like, that's a guy I can't get rid of. I would, I would definitely, um, you know, he's he's available for me. Yeah, I know there are some Cubs fans though uh, out there that if you suggest that, boy, they don't want to hear it because it was so frustrating watching him rip the cover off the ball in Des Moines the first month of the year. He comes up, he's hitting a bunch of home runs. It's been a cool week for him or so, and we'll see how that all levels out. Um, definitely fun to watch Christopher Morrell. Not a priority, again, to move on from him, but yeah, I think you would listen there because I'm skeptical that he's going to end up being a, a full-time contributing major leaguer, and I'm skeptical that it will fit in with this Cubs team given the rest of the roster makeup. Right, and for me, I just want to say one thing. is like, And I and I, I know this kind of goes against what I just said about Marcus Stroman, but nobody on – I don't think anybody's untouchable necessarily. I mean, some guys like they're not going to trade Nancy Swanson, right? They just put all this money in, but (laughs) uh, I don't think anybody's untouchable. 
I think everybody you would listen on, everybody you would be willing to move. I just don't think like it makes logical sense to trade somebody like Marcus Stroman, but I like I'm not attached. I I, I wasn't, and no, and I know we all loved those 2021 guys. I did as well. But like, if you make good moves, good baseball moves, I I'm not the type of guy who's like really attached to that. Yeah. I, I'm a yeah. Cubs fan, and I want to see the Cubs win. And I'd love to love the guys who are winning the, for the Cubs. But I want to see them win, and it's more. And I will love whoever wins for the Cubs. Like that's my feeling. Yeah. Well, let's get bitter here for a minute. Uh, my buddy, who's a Baltimore Orioles fan, Jeremy. I often give you a hard time about like University of Illinois football wins like a non-conference game against Eastern Illinois or something like that, right? First first week of the year. Miles you can't really do that. I think. Fifty. Yeah, you win by fifty, and you've got this cocky. Swagger team. Oh, you got course. your Kurt Kittner jersey on. You're drinking your orange crush. You're sort of strutting yeah. down the street. Well, my buddy who's an Orioles fan, he's got a little bit of a strut to him right now. The Orioles, one of the very exciting young teams in baseball, uh, playoff bound right now, and maybe they'll compete with Tampa Bay there in the very good American League East. But he's very excited. He says to me the other day, Ronan, who has been the most disappointing player this year for you on the Chicago Cubs? And he's an Orioles fan. So he was a little bit taken aback when I said, without a doubt, Trey Mancini, for me, has been the most disappointing Cub. I was not high, Jeremy, on Trey Mancini coming in, but I didn't think he would be a negative war player here going into June. I think he's been awful at a really important position. Right. I'm actually a little little surprised to hear you say that, too, just because I thought, like, you weren't high on him at all. So I thought, like... It's a little surprising for me to hear you say you're the most disappointed in him just from the sake of fact that I didn't think you expected anything from him. But, well, first of all, let me just say, when you have, like, a long time period of an Indiana fan should know of when you only win, like, one game a year, you got to strut and act cocky when you win that one game. Yeah, you win, yeah. (laughs) I would hope an IAU fan would understand that. Um, But going back to Trey, a guy I was high on, I agree with you. I've been since, since, you know, April, end of April, May. Like, this guy's... Unfortunately, I, it's hard not to say it, but he's been terrible. Uh, you know, everybody was begging, as I said, like there was so much hate on Hosmer. And I'm like, I Hosmer's been bad, but like there's guys that have been worse than him. And Trey Mancini was one of these guys, in my opinion, that's been worse. And yeah. it just it, it hasn't really looked good. I mean, I, it's hard. He did have an RBI tonight, one of the only two RBIs tonight. He had an RBI knock into left field. But it's just been – he's not hitting the ball with the same authority I thought. He hasn't looked – I don't know if there's something wrong with him physically. He's looked very slow. Yeah. Uh, he's, he is a big dude, so he's not going to be like a speed burner. But he's looked slow. He's looked unathletic. He looked like he's struggled at first base. We They put him in the outfield a couple times. Ronan was very anti that. We haven't seen him in the yeah. outfield since <laughs> um, necessarily. Like – he has not looked good at all. I think he's been a major disappointment. I agree with you because you thought, you know, okay, he'll hit a little bit. He'll hit at least he'll give you like at the very worst. It might not be good for his position, might not be good for his war, but maybe he'll give you like 100 OPS and, you know, that like that it at least lengthens out your lineup a little bit. But no, he's been terrible and it's hard. It's hard. I thought, you know, I mentioned when they signed him, and your Baltimore fan probably knows this, uh, that they moved that wall back in left field. And I thought him coming to Wrigley Field with, you know, the summertime, he'll, he'll he'd hit a few more bombs. But, like, you look at his baseball savant page, man, it is brutal. It's one of the worst yeah. baseball savant pages to look at right now. The entire thing is blue. 
like just blue, which is really bad. And it's like, it's, it's bad. And it's almost unplayable bad. And I would say it's unplayable, but they don't have anywhere else to go. And it's not like Matt Mervis is lighting it up. So yeah, uh, it's, it's just bad. Yeah. It's been, it's been bad. I, I did have low expectations. Hasn't had a one F4 season since 2019. Four years ago at this point, I didn't think he'd be below replacement level though, right? And we're talking about a third of the year here. He's played 50 games this year. There's no slug from him. He's got only nine extra base hits this year. He's slugging under 350. I thought there would be problems. I thought there'd be strikeouts. I don't love his defense, but I thought there'd be more power. I just thought that would translate at Wrigley Field. And maybe it's coming, right? As things heat up and, but there's been no sign of that from him. And it's been very disappointing. Uh, to see that. I think you had him at maybe the, the was your prediction at the start of yes. the year he would be the team leader in home runs? Yeah, whenever I predict a, especially because <laughs> I think we've done this for three years in a row, and I've always predicted a newcomer to lead the league, or excuse me, lead the Cubs in homers, just immediately know that guy's going to be pure trash. Just yeah. pure trash. I mean, Jock was okay. I predicted Jock, and he was okay. Uh, Clint Frazier and Trey Mancini, pure trash. So yeah. when I make that pick, just know I'm just letting you know that guy's going to be pure trash. Although yeah. Clint's back on the south side, the White Sox are hot, man. They're playing much better baseball. Four games out of first place right now. Um, one other point on Matt Mervis I wanted to make there. It, it has been a bit of a rough start. 21 games here, hitting under 200, mid-250s on base percentage. Um, but I am still of the belief, and I imagine you and Randall share this as well, just play him. Just, just play him every damn day. Play him against lefties. Let's Let him figure it out, or let's let's learn that maybe he's not going to be a guy at first base for the team moving forward. Just play him every damn day. You know, that game in Anaheim was so frustrating because he had a couple of big hits, including off lefties. And then he makes the defensive error and the game sort of slips away after that. Um, So tough to see a young guy going through those growing pains. But if I were in charge of anything with the Cubs right now, just pencil Matt Mervis in at first base, unless he's hurt or it's a particularly brutal matchup, let him go out there and either figure it out or let's learn who he really is. There's nothing to lose at this point in letting Matt Mervis play every day at first base. And I would think most Cubs fans overwhelmingly agree with that. Yeah, I 100% agree. There's no reason not to play him. Uh, First of all, he's 25 years old. He hasn't shown, I mean, I don't think there's anything he hasn't, he, you know, has left to prove in AAA in Iowa. Uh, You know, even look, Nick Mantrigal's lighting it up in Iowa, like, What's he going to learn down there in in order for him to be a solid player? He's going to have to make adjustments and, and do it at the major league level. He's him being sending him down or sitting him on the bench. It's not going to, he's got to be out there playing. So yeah, I agree with you. I I'm not necessarily, you know, I, I, to be fair, I I don't think I was ever really super high on him because I was a little skeptical of him, the way he rose through the buyers above age, but like, yeah, he was a pretty, and he came out this year and he has R and, and he, I think he earned his way to the majors and he earned his way to be playing first baseman. And tonight uh, in Los Angeles, he hit a ball 110 miles per hour that probably if he didn't hit right at the right fielder would have been like an RBI double. And it was unfortunate that the right fielder was right there and was able to make a, a play on the ball. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. I think you have to play him. You have to figure out what's there. Like, yeah. do we, if we're going to go into 2024, we talked about are the Cubs going to be competitive there? Do we need to get a first baseman or do we have the guy? And the only way you're going to know that, the only way you're going to learn that is if you play him. And, you know, I've seen some comparisons to Rizzo. Uh, when he first came up, he, he came up, he went down and came back up. And there he struggled a little bit. And I think in 2013, it was the year he struggled. Uh, or maybe it was 2014. I don't remember exactly. 
But I, you know, I don't think Mervis is Rizzo, but uh, yeah, you can struggle a little bit to start your career, but you, you just got to play him. You got to learn what it is. And as we just said with Trey Mancini, the Cubs don't have anybody better no. to put at first base. They're not going to learn anything from playing Trey Mancini more at first base or whoever at first base. I mean, if you want to put like Morrell at first base, maybe, but you know, doesn't really make sense. But so the only answer right now is Matt Mervis needs to play. He needs to play pretty much every day. Maybe if there's like a really brutal lefty on the mound, yeah, I can understand sure. sitting him. But there's nothing gained from not playing Matt Murray's yeah. every day. And even, even if you learn he's not the guy, that's at least knowledge you can use. Like, yes. okay, maybe he's not the guy. Now we know we need to get something. Just having him not, you know, not learning anything about him is worse. And I'm pretty sure Brandon would be dismissive of that type of logic because he would be like, no, he'll be fine. Matt Murray's, he's going to be great. Yeah. So, you know, that'd Just be Randall's take. Yeah, just let him play. Let him go out there and play, and let's see what happens with him. And Cubs fans have to understand, too, there will be growing pains. There will be those bad defensive plays. There will be poor plate appearances and critical moments, but that's all part of his development. I love what you're saying there, Jeremy. Let's just get some answers. Let's find out who Matt Mervis is and whether or not he's going to fit into the bigger picture here for the Cubs moving forward. Um, Some, I think, positive injury updates for the Cubs here. The Cubs remain optimistic here with Justin Steele. They keep calling it a minor forearm strain. The expectation is he misses maybe only two starts. And along the way, we're going to get to see Hayden back in the starting rotation. Very, very eager to see how Hayden can reacclimate to the starting rotation. Uh, The other thing, Jeremy... Cody Bellinger will need a rehab assignment, so we'll figure out here soon where Cody Bellinger is bound. But it certainly feels like Justin Steele isn't too far off, and Cody Bellinger should be in the uh, back in the mix here pretty soon. Yeah, definitely. I just want to say, and I'm sorry for that, but we may have some breaking news right here. Randall J. Sanders has just reported in. He's woken up. He's woken up. He says he just needs some time to set up his mic. So I'm sorry for interrupting that question. Okay, all good. We might have some major breaking news, and I thought it was more important, I'm sorry, that Randall J. Sanders is getting ready. So hopefully he pops in. Yeah, he'll join uh, us here. Uh, But uh, yes. Would you like to just repeat that question? I'm sorry, I got a little distracted. I got very excited about this news. Basically just saying it appears that Justin Steele is close to coming back. It appears Cody Bellinger is close to coming back. Cody likely to do a rehab stint here. Uh, So overall, pretty good there. Um, You know, Bellinger has been sorely missed in center field for the Cubs and again a viable trade candidate and Justin Steele has been uh, almost ace-like as a starting pitcher so encouraging there um the other note there is that I'm just eager to see Hayden back in the starting rotation because he's had some nice relief appearances here let's see if he can reacclimate to the rotation I agree I I he he looked pretty well and it looked like he's kind of kind of made some adjustments since he's gone down to the minor leagues I've seen some things uh, pitching out of the stretch. I've seen some things online about, you know, certain kind of mechanical changes he's made. So I, I, yeah, I think Hayden's pitched pretty well. He, uh, we saw our, I at least saw him, uh, I think against the Rays when he came out in relief against Justin first Justin Steele when he was hurt. And I thought he pitched pretty fine. I thought, you know, David Ross does the quick hook. It's like whenever your guy goes and he puts that one or possibly two guys on, He's out. I'm bringing somebody new in. And Hayden got that quick hook. And of course, there was an immediate home run by Mark Leiter Jr. or given up by Mark Leiter Jr. right there. But uh, yeah, I I'm I think we also need to learn about Hayden Wesneski, like we said about yeah. Matt Mervis. Like, I don't think there's more he's going to show at AAA. We need to learn, is this a guy that's going to be in the rotation next year? Maybe out of the bullpen? Who knows? But I do think I give I give 
pitchers a little more leeway because I feel like pitchers can it might take some time, but they can figure it out. There's usually like maybe it's a grip, maybe it's something like I feel like a batter, like you kind of know after a while, like this guy, he's either gonna, he either is or he isn't. He he's not. It's not like but pitchers, I give a little bit more kind of like you know they can, there's there's things they can do. So we'll see with Hayden. I but I I do I do think that we need to learn more about him. And I think I I'm I'm still high on him. I still expect um yeah. you know a solid major league pitcher out of there. And I'm glad he's getting this chance. Now I'm not glad it's because Steele is hurt, but I'm glad he's getting another chance to reestablish himself so early on with the Cubs. One other injury note that I wanted to talk about is not in the big leagues, but it's down on the farm here. And I'm getting worried about this one, Jeremy. Brendan Davis, the Cubs Iowa outfielder. Remember, he played just 53 games last year because of a series of injuries. He's been bad. Bottom line, I mean, he's young for AAA, but he's been bad this year for the Cubs. You feel like the momentum there that he had, that wonderful appearance in the Futures game a couple years ago in Denver, you feel like it's starting to slip away here. And something that I have been sensing among the Cubs fan base is there is a lack of optimism or maybe growing pessimism about the viability of Brendan Davis as a Chicago Cub moving forward. I think this is bad news here as we see another injury from the 23-year-old outfielder. Right. I I and the thing is, he's been struggling for a time before. And I believe I, I remember reading an article about him recently. And I think the Cubs were like, it's not injury related, which his struggles, which kind of also put the damper. I'm like, well, if it's not injury related. Then what is it? Um, And, you know, I feel like I go on Twitter and I'll, I'll see like a Brennan Davis highlight every once in a while. I'll be like, oh, Brennan Davis, he did something like, you know, maybe he's going to, and I'll go check his numbers. I'm like, oh, man, what's going on there? Uh, yeah. It's not it's not good. And I don't want to write him off necessarily because we saw what happened with Miguel Amaya, a guy who has been was a highly touted prospect, went through a ton of injuries, kind of written him off a little bit. And then he came back and he looks like he could be a guy. But right now, with the way Brennan Davis is playing and actually playing, playing more than probably Amaya ever played, it doesn't look good. It it looks yeah. bad. Um, I remember thinking when I, when he was first like kind of killing it, I think in uh, the Midwest league, when he was kind of establishing himself, like I always thought he had like a really quick bat. He just had like a really short stroke, uh, swinging and I, it looked really nice to see him up there. And I feel like every time I see him now, he kind of looks slow, kind of looks kind of not real super athletic. And it's just been, it's just been sad to watch and hopefully he can kind of turn around Uh, his injuries. You know, they were kind of freakish in terms of like his back and everything, but it's, it's been, it hasn't been good. And he's the guy I'm rooting for because I, 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 you know, I, I'm rooting for all of them, but like, I thought it'd be fun to have a, a a guy who's dad, who I don't know if he really has much contact with his father, but a former Chicago bull and Reggie Theus, I thought would be kind of fun to be playing in Wrigley field. Uh, Brendan's still young. He's only 23, but he got to AAA at 21. It just feels like a lifetime ago. He got like two and a half weeks or so in AAA back in 2021, and it it felt like the sky was the limit at that point. I mean, I remember us saying, is this guy going to be on the 2022 Chicago Cubs? And then, well, is he going to be on the 2023 Chicago Cubs? Now I don't know if he's even going to be on the 2024 Chicago Cubs and uh, about struggling just to put it in context 45 games this year in AAA he was hitting 198 with a 315 on base percentage slugging under 300 at 299 so it just hasn't been there for him and I think we've all sort of moved on he's not a center fielder right so if he's going to land somewhere it's maybe in one of the corner outfield spots but that's another thing because there was a time where the people were thinking okay this could be a center field option for the Cubs yeah definitely right and not to just, but we have 
We have Randall J. Sanders in the waiting room. So I'm about to let him, him on. In. Bring him in. We're going to bring yeah, him in. This we've is been live. kind of pessimistic here. This Jeremy, is live. Yeah, with all the things struggling with the Cubs. So let's get some optimism here. Uh, he has risen. He has risen. Shined. I just want to say we are recording, and this is live. We've been recording. He's risen. He's coming in. Uh, we, we, we do record this inside of uh, Zoom. There he is. And now we see Randall J. Sanders. Randall, you're joining us about 50 minutes yeah, into tonight's into podcast. Into tonight's podcast. We are um, recording. Good morning, Randall. How, how are you today? Uh, tired, but uh, good to have everybody back. Well, you've missed some riveting talk here. We've talked Marcus Stroman. We've talked Justin Steele. We've talked Cody Bellinger. We were just sort of lamenting the state here of Brendan Davis with another injury. But let's talk optimism Let's be happy here for a minute. Let's talk Cubs All-Stars, Randall. I asked this trivia question earlier to Jeremy. I'm going to tweak it a little bit for you. How many Cubs pitchers, Randall, do you think have started an All-Star game as a Chicago Cub? Ooh, I have to imagine that's a very short list. I am going to go with two. Two Cubs pitchers to start an All-Star game. You want to name one of them? Just so we can have some idea who you're thinking. I'm going to guess Fergie Jenkins for one of them. I, that's exactly what I thought the answer is. Randall, one pitcher has started an all-star game for the Chicago Cubs and it was back in 1946, Claude Passo. So I was thinking about Fergie. Think of all those great years he had, all those 20-win seasons he had, never got to start an all-star game as a Chicago Cub. So maybe yeah, Marcus this year will get a chance to do that. Yeah, you know, it, it's. I would say it's very hard to be an all-star at certain positions. I'd say it's probably very hard to be an all-star catcher because they might only carry two of those. And one of them is going to be the starter. The starting pitcher is the hardest to be an all-star at because that's the one the fans have no control over. Uh, and then, you know, you have to be chosen as the starting pitcher. So that's even more so than catcher. Starting pitcher is the hardest position to be an all-star at, and especially to be the starter at yeah. uh, as far as positions. And there's a little bit of luck to that as well, because where you fall, if you pitch the Sunday before the All-Star game, you're not going to be starting that All-Star game. So that factors into it a little bit as well. Um, we had been speculating earlier, Randall, uh, boy, wouldn't it have been fun in 2003 if it had been either Kerry Wood or Mark Pryor, two Cubs pitchers who appeared in that All-Star game against Esteban Loiza on the south side. But it didn't work out that way. Do you guys remember who the National League starting pitcher in 2003 was? Ooh, the National League starting pitcher in 2003. Jeremy, you were there. I was there, so I'm, so I'm trying to think about it. I'll give I, you guys I, a hint if you'd like. A National League West player. I was going to guess. I had a, My guess was going to be like Jason Schmidt. Got it. That's yes. it. Jason Schmidt. I, but I was Bond thinking Liza. Jason Schmidt as a Dodger, but I'm now I'm kind of thinking it might have been a Giant. Up was the coast. A, a Giant, okay. No, no, up the coast. Yeah, San Francisco yeah, Giants. Giant. Exactly right. Yeah, where the Cubs are this weekend. Um, so we were thinking about, you know, who's all-star worthy for the Cubs this year? Uh, Marcus Stroman, certainly the front runner for that right now. You could say Horner. You could say Swanson. My question to you guys, who do you think will be the most surprising Cub who ends up landing on an all-star team? And remember, injuries factor into this as well. Randall, you're awake again here. Who will be the most surprising Cub to make this all-star team? I think, I think we're going to be shocked. When Jan Gomes's name enters wow. the tomes of history wow. as an all-star Cubs catcher. Wow. All right. I, I, I you know, I can kind of see it. Uh, I think that, I guess I, I would say, I think Justin Steele is going to make, I don't know if it's like shocking, that. but I don't think people are kind of aware of Justin Steele and like, 
you know, so I don't think he's going to get a lot of hype for it. And, but I think he will make it. I think Justin Steele is going to make it. I'm with you there. And the only reason why I would also say it's shocking is, you know, something about the all-star game that folks have to remember is you're an all-star for the first half of the season and not even the the full first half of the season in order to land an all-star team. So when you miss time because of injuries and you can still land a spot on an all-star team, I think that makes it a little bit more surprising. So that's why I'm with you, Jeremy, Uh, Justin Steele. Uh, Randall, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this here too, not to jump around too much. Do you see Jan Gomes as a potential trade candidate for the Cubs this year at the all-star break? You know, if some team is willing to give up a premium, absolutely. You know, we're getting back into rumor season, my least favorite season, no matter what part of the season. And it's not out of the question that the Cubs are just completely out of it. They might try and package Gomes with a starting pitcher because there's nothing teams love more than not only bringing in a pitcher, but you bring in a catcher who uh, has worked with that pitcher from the same team and it makes the return that much sweeter if the Cubs are just completely out of it and it's time to really get creative and try and maximize your return. I could see Gomes being a trade candidate and a catcher, a starting catcher uh, at the deadline is always tricky because you've got to ingratiate them to your signs very quickly and on the fly. But again, if the Cubs are trying to maximize their return, I could very easily see Gomes going with a pitcher of some sort as a trade piece. Do you think that Amaya, like this is what we were talking about, do you think Amaya makes him expendable? You know, that's a really good question, and I think it's all a matter of how much you believe Amaya's injury history is in the past. I don't personally believe that. And watching Amaya be productive as a major league catcher and watching him um, immediately kind of dive in and work with a, a veteran pitching staff, not perfectly, there's growing pains, but watching him dive in and do that, In a perfect world, yes, but we don't live in a perfect world. So I don't think Amaya makes Gomes expendable. I do think that an Amaya-Gomes tandem behind the home plate, behind home plate, is maybe perfect heading into 2024 because you've got your young, hopefully catcher of the future, but you've got a very talented veteran uh, ready to split time with him depending on how things go. So I don't think he makes Gomes expendable. I do think that if you were to move on from Gomes, you have a, you can do a lot better than like Barnhart and then I don't know, calling up Dom Nunez or whatever as your catcher replacement. I think you could do a lot worse than to hand it to Amaya. I don't think he, on his own, makes Gomes expendable. Well, Randall, I want to be honest with you. I was a little bit worried when Jeremy and I were ready to start the podcast tonight. You you were gone. Uh, you get angry sometimes when the Cubs don't play good baseball and we're in the extended... Never. Never. Extended stretch here, right, of the Cubs playing bad baseball. This is a brutal road trip. Ten games in California, three different cities. There's a lot there to it. Um, So I was worried after the loss tonight in Anaheim, you kind of exploded, right, that you just sort of lost it in that moment. Um, So it's good to have you back here in the mix. But it also got me thinking, the Cubs are not frequently in Anaheim. We're going to see more of that moving forward with the new schedule. The Cubs were most recently there back in 2016. Happier times in the world of the Cubs. But as you've watched Cubs baseball at Anaheim Stadium the last couple of nights, what do you get when you watch that ballpark? Because, you know, the Cubs play in Arizona, you're pissed off. The Cubs are at Dodger Stadium, you're pissed off, right? There's lots of these fan bases and ballparks that irritate you. You said a couple weeks ago how much you hate Houston. We don't see a lot of Anaheim. Has the ballpark experience been irritating you at all, in, like, not including the outcome of the games, right? I know you're upset they're losing. But I'm saying watching these games in Anaheim, how are you feeling? 
You know, I don't have any strong feelings about uh, well, Anna, Anaheim Stadium. The Cubs haven't played there in uh, almost, you know, seven, eight seasons. Uh, it's not like there are any major things to have happened badly to the Cubs in that ballpark. They definitely won the series the last time they played out there. They may even have swept to start the season. Uh, you know, it's not like the Cubs have played at that ballpark often enough. It's not like, um, it's certainly not like Arizona, which is a place where the Cubs have never, a place where the Cubs have never played well. And even with Trout, uh, and of course, Otani has come about in the league since the Cubs have last played in Anaheim. Uh, you know, not that it's a sample size. The Cubs have not been in Anaheim enough for me to develop any meaningful emotional sample. Um, so, you know, now that it's a, going to be a biannual thing and the Cubs are going to play there every other year, maybe that sample size grows and I do develop some kind of emotional reaction to Angel Stadium or Anaheim Stadium, whatever they call it. But uh, as it is right now, the Cubs haven't played there enough for me to have any strong yeah. feelings about the ballpark. I'm surprised. Right. And the last time, as you said, the Cubs were there was the opening series, I believe, in 2016, where the Cubs did. I, I do think they might have dropped one, but, but two and one maybe um, when, uh, you know, so you have some pretty good thoughts out there. But uh, for me, I always associate the ballpark with a couple of things. One, you know, the rock pile on center field, but the rally monkey and the thunder sticks. Like, I just think 2002 World Series, rally monkey, thunder sticks. And uh, to me, those were like always kind of a, a negative uh, on my opinion of uh, the team. Now, speaking of Mike Sosha, they showed former Cub briefly Phil Nevin in the dugout uh, for game one of the series. He is slowly morphing into Mike Sosha. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Phil Nevin recently, but he's developing kind of that same kind of vaguely round shape that Mike Sosha had by the time he was done. He had that the same look. I was like, wow, is that Mike Sosha? So Phil Nevin, I guess you put on that, that uh, Angels manager hat and it just starts to slowly change you. You know, I did have a reaction seeing Phil Nevin. I went, damn, he looks old. Yeah. And then I thought, like, wait a minute. He's been, like, it's been a while since he was playing. Like, I think of him, like, when he was a Cub, too, right? So that was one of those moments for me, like, damn, we're getting old as well here. Jeremy, you talked about your birthday at the top of the show here. Just watching Phil Nevin as an older man to me, that that set me back for a minute. Like, oh, yeah, wait a minute. We're, we're not that young, too. Yeah, Phil Nevin was a Cub in 2006, so we're uh, approaching almost a decade ago. And Jeremy, a happy birthday to you. I'm sure you Thank led you, off Randall. the show with this. Yes. Uh, speaking of leading off, the 2016 Cubs did lead off with a two-game series. In oh, Anaheim. Two it was okay. one of those weird Monday-Tuesday series. The Cubs were off of Wednesday that um, that we, that opening week. And then, unfortunately, they would go to uh, Arizona right after Anaheim. And that, of course, series would claim the knee ligaments of one Kyle Schwarber. So that's why we can't remember if they might have dropped one. They only played two games to start the season there in 2016. And I do remember in 2016 opening night, they scored in the top of the first inning. And you talk about setting a good omen for a year that ended really well. When you score in the top of the first inning of the first game of the year where you've got huge expectations, I remember screaming at the TV at that point, like, all right, boys, we're here. It's time to go. And it was all uh, just a wonderful roller coaster from that point on. So, I, you know, I also had sort of positive memories. I, I like the nature preserve in center field and Coors Field. And I think the rock pile, as you called it, Jeremy, there in Anaheim is also a nice touch 
for that place. That's an old stadium that they've renovated and really tried to modernize. I don't know internally how well it is aged. And there's a lot of criticism about the ownership group there in Southern California. But on TV, I think it actually plays pretty well for an older park that they've sort of revived. Right. Yeah. I mean, that 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 ballpark was originally built, I believe, to host the uh, well, not just the Angels, but also the Los Angeles Rams uh, played there uh, days ago. And of course, when Disney bought it, they renovated the whole thing, put in at the rock pile in center field, kind of took out like it used to be kind of like enclosed almost like around mm-hmm. the outfield. And they took out opened it up a little bit, uh, made it more, you know, as you said, modernized and more like kind of more of a, what a modern ballpark would look like. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting stadium. I've never been there, so I would love to go there. I've driven yeah. by it once uh, in Anaheim, but uh, I would love to get out there. But uh, yeah, I imagine, you know, and, and it's interesting to know because uh, for a while, Artie Moreno was talking about selling a team, but I think they pulled back on that. I don't think he's selling mm-hmm. it anymore. So we'll see where that goes. But uh, yeah, you know, Cubs aren't out there often, but they're out there now. So uh, Otani Trout, it's an interesting place out there uh, in mm-hmm. Disneyland, pretty much. Uh, yeah, Jeremy, 1966. Uh, the ballpark that uh, is currently known as Angel Stadium opened as the host of what was then the Los Angeles Angels and would have come all the way back around to being the Los Angeles Angels. So everything is a flat circle. Yeah, That's and right. like, the Rams moved there in maybe the early 80s, I think, or late 70s. So they played football there. It was the the home of the Rams 1980 to 1994. Yeah. yeah. Well, Randall, another reason why I'm happy you're joining us, there's two teams not Cubs-related that I wanted to talk about tonight, and I sincerely believe both of these conversations are going to irritate you. So I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Let's start in the American League. Uh, as much as we rag on the National League Central, the American League Central is a bit of a dumpster fire. The first-place team there is the Twins. They are 31-31. and 31. So your top team in that division is 500. And believe it or not, the Chicago White Sox are starting to build up some momentum. They've won four straight games. They are just four games behind first-place Minnesota. Sunday, Sox Park, Jake Berger hits a walk-off grand slam for the White Sox, one of the highlights of their season up to this point. And I happened to catch the call. It was Len Casper on the broadcast calling the grand slam, and it was that distinct Len Casper voice crack. We heard it a million times with the Cubs, maybe the most famous, the Aramis home run back in 2007 that set the Cubs towards the playoffs. It broke my heart a little bit, boys. It's a couple years removed now here, but hearing the voice crack from Len Casper on a walk-off grand slam, Jake Berger setting off a huge celebration on the south side. Uh, White Sox, though, playing much better baseball lately. They're suddenly kind of back in it in that division. That division is trash. <laughs> what a damning indictment of that division, that being the case. Yeah, let like me that, let, that, that reflects oh. a lot more poorly on the division than it does reflect positively upon that Sox team. Yeah, I have a, I have a couple of things to say about this. First of all, I'm actually like it's I'm surprised that this is true, but it is physically like difficult for me to watch White Sox games when Len Casper is on the call. I Why? it's hard. I it just is. I I don't know why I associate Len Casper with the Cubs and like so many great moments that like what I, I kind of like the same feeling, I guess, of when like I Lane Larravee's calling Packer games, right? I, even though it was a long time ago, it's like it just kind of feels traitorous, you know, and I when I Benetti and Stone, even Stone, like I don't have a problem with Benetti and Stone, like I watch it and like, oh, yeah, whatever. I, I put it on Casper's on. I like have to mute it. I, I don't know Ooh. why. Um, But uh First of all, I did. I, I'm kind of in on this White Sox kind of bandwagon getting in on this because the moment they called up Clint Frazier, I put <laughs> I put I'm going to be honest. I put a ten dollar bonus bet on the White Sox to win the division. I'm like, we're getting back in this thing, baby. So I'm rooting for it 
a bit. And did you and did you guys see the game? I guess the Tigers. Who, by the way, the Tigers are they're ahead. They Very were good. ahead of the White Sox. They are trash. Their lineup had like two guys above like a 600 OPS. It is so bad. But did you see the game? I want to see it was they won an extra innings. The White Sox. I don't know if it was Friday or Saturday. The way that game ended and the way those runs were scored it was a two to one ball game. Did you see that game? So what? Every game, every run was scored on. Well, first of all, the first two runs were scored on a wild pitch. The third run was scored on a pass ball, oh. which could have been a wild pitch. So every no run was like an RBI not base it. Every run was just with a runner on third and a bad pitch at home, and the run scored. Now the way the the winning run scored was in the tenth inning, where the White Sox loaded the bases and just a fastball that the catcher completely it wasn't it was not it was supposed to be a pitch low but and it went high but the catcher did not make like did not make the adjustment to go up and get it fastball 96 miles per hour straight to the umpire's mask straight between the eyes just took it dead on catcher initial reaction obviously is to look at the umpire like the umpires went down for the count run comes in from home wow Sox win and like the because the pitcher runs to cover home, doesn't run to the ball. Catcher's like, oh, run to the ball, goes to run to the ball. But like, and the, the the home plate umpire was like woozy after that. You can see the trainers coming off of both sides into the just an incredible ball game. Like three runs scored on, on just misses at home plate. It, it was incredible. It, it definitely feels like the momentum is shifting there on the south side, and they are able to take advantage here of a really bad division. Um, Randall, last time I was on, I was sort of mentioning that I've sort of ventured into. Uh, White Sox fan spaces, just to get a sense of what their fan base is about. Still a lot of tension about Timmy Anderson. So that's been interesting to me, like from a distance, to sort of watch the White Sox world. They're playing better baseball, but man, that fan base is frustrated with their shortstop. Is that where you were last week as you were still venturing into White Sox fan spaces and you couldn't find your way out? I'm just imagining you like venturing into this, this dark void with like a line trailing behind you back to base and you know you're you've been missing for like a week and suddenly that line tugs and it's you get me out of here i've been trapped in white Sox reddit for the last two weeks and we bring in the emergency crews to finally get you out that would explain where you were last week i i know i like venturing into opposing teams territory and just getting it like a temperature check what yeah. are they complaining about? What are they excited about? How do they feel about their team? Um, and it's been more than the White Sox. And I, I'm very active in, I absorb Rockies content, just where I'm at. I'm in Denver. I'm, I follow Rockies media members. I've got friends that are Rockies fans. So there's teams that I sort of follow. And I, I had the White Sox winning the division. I had their ace as the Cy Young in the American League. Uh, I do think there's a very good chance that team is still going to end up winning that division. So I've got an eye on what's happening on the south side of Chicago. Uh, but uh, it was hard for me to hear the voice crack because that was like a distinct thing. Cubs, I got triggered a little bit is maybe what I'm trying to say with that. Um, speaking of triggering, though, National League Central, this is the other team that I wanted to talk about. Randall, how do you feel? about the Cincinnati Reds suddenly becoming the darling team in Major League Baseball. They've called up multiple top prospects. They're playing good baseball, having won three in a row. They're suddenly just five back in a division that Milwaukee doesn't want to win right now. So how do you feel about the, the world of Major League Baseball suddenly getting excited about the Red Legs? Well, you know, the great thing about existing in the, the present day is that nobody has any memory of anything. Everything 
happens for the first time. How many times have we sat here and watched the Reds become the quote unquote darlings? It's great that they called up a top prospect. That's fun. That's good. And it's, you know, but is that really what we're doing is we are so bereft of any memory, so incapable of realizing when things have happened before that we just kind of do everything all over again. And the answer to that is yes, of course. We have no collective kind of memory literacy. Uh, That's great. If someone wants to say the Reds are the hot new thing, again, terrific. Have fun buying that ticket on that bus. The Reds are the Reds. You know, you can call up fun players all you want. You're still the Reds. And great. They can be the the, the fun team, and they'll still finish the season 10 games under 500. That's great. Have fun with that as the Reds baseball world. You will. I, I can't wait for three weeks from now when they've come back to earth and everyone is still standing there holding their tickets. No, no, no. But the Reds were the hot new thing. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that's great. If we want to be that bereft of memory of things having happened before, that is entirely our, not our, their, their prerogative. Jeremy, in defense of the Reds, these are these are some big time prospects that they've got here, including a top five prospect who hit his first home run today and another, not a top prospect for the team, but um, another who hit a walk-off home run for the Reds here today. There's some legitimate talent suddenly in Cincinnati with this Reds team, wouldn't you say? Right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, You know, obviously off the top, Ellie De La Cruz has been, uh, it's only been two days, obviously, but so far phenomenal. And his first look at the major leagues is crushing balls, setting Reds records almost like things that the Reds haven't had done in years, uh, hitting the hardest ball they've seen running the fastest of players they've seen, except for maybe Billy Hamilton, um, you know, just, just doing everything. And then you get guys, as he's mentioned, Will Benson, Matt McClain coming up uh, with, they had some pretty good players already having kind of resurgent seasons, uh, you know, and Jonathan India, who of course was the subject. I don't know if you guys saw, of a little bit of a you, you talk about the darling of baseball they were the like main subject on social media baseball twitter the other day when kirk herb street and the athletic were going at it i don't know if you saw any of that between our herbie was uh the athletic wrote an article about calling up ellie de la cruz and where do you play ellie de la cruz do you end up having to move jonathan india who's having like this resurgent year or do something with that who's been your team leader and they wrote an article a very fair article about it and herb street got like didn't even seem like he read it just when you don't move your star players all these things with india and just going after the athletic and rosenthal and their their beat writer c trent rosencrantz it was it was it was pretty interesting but yeah to me the reds they look like a formidable team this division is not that great we talked about the al central this nl central is not much better i mean the pirates are playing very well but they're the pirates as randall would say so i don't know how much faith i have in them and cardinals are playing terrible but they're at the bottom but so who's to say the reds can't be that team I mean, they're having a great time right now being the dodgers like you didn't mention that the fact those wins are coming across against the dodgers that again i'm not saying it's not an awful division it is an awful division jeremy you and i touched on it last week the run differentials in this division uh, should not be viewed by children like it's an ugly division i'm not saying the reds can't find themselves into a way of making noise in this division. But again, how many times have we talked about the Reds in the offseason? Maybe they spend some money on a player and we collectively go, oh, the Reds are now the darling of the division. Again, and that's collectively our inability to remember when things have happened before and how they generally end up a certain way. And if that's the way we want to go, you know, if we want to say, okay, this is the time 
where the Reds are the darlings. That's great. And the cycle will repeat itself and we can do it again in another couple of years when the Reds become the darlings again. Again, everything has happened before, but we either don't or can't remember it. And so to us, everything happens for the first time every time. Joey Votto's going to come back. He's going to add more to that Reds team. Yeah, great. That team to watch, I think, in the division for sure. And Pittsburgh, you know, also having a, an interesting season up to this point as the Cardinals continue to struggle in the dweller of uh, basement of the National Only League positive Central. from this season yes. so far. The Cardinals have <laughs> been, been, been awful. And all of their minor <laughs> leaguers have been bad, too. So it's yeah. been, like, very positive. <laughs> uh, one other note on the Reds here, Gordon Wittenmeyer taking over the beat, covering the Cincinnati Reds there. He had a nearly 20-year career covering the Chicago Cubs a long time with the Sun-Times. He'd been with NBC Sports Chicago for a while. Uh, apparently this year he'd been working for an outlet called Sports Not. That's where he had been working, and I'm told he has a podcast with Randall's guy, David Kaplan, as well. But uh, uh, in all honesty, uh, for Gordon Whitmire, uh, it must be a relief to be back working and covering a big league team. The Reds, one of the historic teams in the National League. I think there is some humor, though, in that Gordon Whitmire, who was maybe the most outspoken critic of the Ricketts family here in Chicago media, and good for him for doing that. That's kind of what the press should be doing, putting pressure on team owners. Well, he's going to a worse ownership group now in Cincinnati. So I'll be curious to see how that plays out as he goes to what is a great baseball city with a tough ownership group in Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, my, the the quote that keeps on giving, Ken Watanabe and Godzilla, let them fight. Uh, no better, <laughs> let them fight between the Reds and Reds ownership uh, and Gordon Wittenmeyer. Just let the two of them go at it and the rest of us can peacefully move on with our lives. I'm curious. I, I haven't heard if he's still going to uh, be a part of Randall's second favorite podcast after this mm-hmm. one, which would be the recap with David Kaplan uh, and Gordon Wittenmeyer. Uh, I, I'm curious if that's still going to be a part of his his thing. I'm a little sad, though, because when I first joined Twitter about 10 years ago, probably a little more than 10 years ago, actually, it was more than that. It was Much more than that. Or, yeah. It was 2009. It was Milton Bradley. The very first account I ever followed was at CST underscore Cubs, and that was Gordon Whitmire. I mean, eventually he got his own account, but at CST underscore Cubs was Gordon Whitmire. He ran the account. He was basically the beat writer. It was the first account, account I ever followed, and when I saw him doing like updating red scores the other day, I'm like, what's going on here? Why do I, why is Gordon Wittenmeyer telling me it's six to two reds over the brewers or something? I clicked on his, on his bio. It said beat writer for the Cincinnati reds inquirer, or excuse me for the Cincinnati inquirer reds beat writer. And I just had to pull the unfollow. Cause I, I can't sit here getting reds updates. Absolutely like, not, not. from Wittenmeyer. I had to do it. And it was sad. It was sad for me because it was basically my first follow was at CST underscore Cubs. Well, I, I'm just going to say, I don't really have any, emotional connection to Gordon Wittenmeyer, so I'm not going to pretend I'm sad to see him go. You asked if he's still going to do a podcast with David Kaplan. Uh, My kitchen garbage is due to go out. When I take that out, I'll check in there, (laughs) and I'll let you know if the podcast is still in there. I I don't really have fond memories of him, but I do believe there is a role, especially today, where you've got a ton of Cubs-owned media entities, the marquee folks, that are you know covering the team and putting out content. You've got team social media accounts that are churning out content all the time. You need journalists to challenge those in power. That's like the heart of journalism. And I think Gordon Wittenmeyer, for better or for worse, took on that role in Chicago. And there's not and there's a lot of like content creation companies that have popped up in cities all across the country, but they're Cubs fans. Like they're pulling for the team. You need journalists that will challenge. 
David Ross and Jed Hoyer and ownership. And I think that was a role that he played. And I hope that there will be more of that to come in Chicago media because Chicago always had a reputation of being a bit of a difficult media city like New York is, like Boston is, like Philadelphia is. That has to exist. And we're living in a timeline right now where teams produce their own content and people sort of conflate that with journalism. And that's the problem. I think I think it's a problem in a lot of things in our society, especially as newspapers lose their influence. You still need journalists asking those tough questions. So I'll give Gordo credit there. Uh, one final thing I wanted to close with here. This is not baseball related. The Denver Nuggets are in the NBA Finals. It's been very fun here in Denver. I'm not a huge NBA guy, but it's been worth it going out and taking in the nightlife here as some of these games have gone on. And I think it's going to be a world championship for the Denver Nuggets this year. But one thing I noticed tonight, it was game three in Miami. One of the things that the Miami Heat do are called whiteouts. They encourage their fan base to all wear white. The team wears their home white uniforms. And generally the fan base responds to that. There was one person about 10 rows up from the bench on TV today who stood out like a sore thumb as everybody, thousands of people around him was wearing white. I saw an orange Miami Marlins jersey and I'm like, oh my God, Marlins man is right there. Randall, you're a jersey guy. You're a guy who no matter how many times I ask you to wear a specific thing, you generally won't. If you're going to an NBA finals game and your team says we are doing a whiteout, you can't wear an orange jersey, right? Like that's a huge no-no on how, on behalf of Mr. Marlins man. Well, I'm going to paraphrase Mark Twain here. It's better to remain silent and be thought Marlins man than to open one's mouth and remove all <laughs> doubt. What an attention-seeking schmuck! Like everyone it, was wearing white, Randall. It's, everyone it's was all wearing about white. you. The guy doesn't have a go. white Marlins jersey, right? It's all about you. You know, my favorite Marlins man memory is that he somehow managed his way into game six of the 2016 NLCS at Wrigley. The game ending double play, the pennant clinching double play. If you look behind home plate, you can see Marlins man taking a selfie of himself with the field in the background. And when that final ball is put into play, you can see Marlins man turn towards the field like a dog chasing his own ass. And that's what he is. He is his own ass. And he is a dog chasing his own ass on the regular. Just somebody who provides absolutely no value. None. I'm glad. I'm glad that will always be there. So when anytime Randall watches that play, he will always have to see that. Yeah. I just thought like you've got 20,000 people in this arena. Everybody's doing their part. It was, it looked like a great environment at Miami. When it comes to the finals time, that place gets to rocking, and you've got this one guy about 10 rows up from the bench. He's got the hat on the visor thing that he wears. He's got the Miami Jersey. And it's like, Dude, that's a really bad call, right? Like the, the fan base, embrace this whiteout. Do your part here. But yeah, attention-seeking. If you watch any clips from the game, you're going to see it now. Certainly that I've mentioned it. Instantly, it's going to stand out to you. Left to right on the court, up behind the bench, there's Marlins man wearing orange while everybody else has white on. A unified effort from the fan base. This guy couldn't contribute. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I'm sure he did that in the LeBron era, too, because, you know, it's just it's just it's just ridiculous. Like, yeah. you're going to be all white and wear orange. Uh, it's it's just nonsensical. All right, Randall. Cubs are wrapping up this road trip in San Francisco, one of my favorite National League road cities here. We've got weather for the stand there in San Francisco. And I'm just going to take a guess here. Will there be fog? Will it be cold? What's the weather, Randall? 
Well, Ronan, you're certainly not wrong. We are fortunate, as always, to be provided with the weather by at Alexander Hall of at Cubs Weather. Alexander gives us the series vibe, as he so often does, and he tells us the northward trek up the Pacific coast. And boy, that that just kind of evokes an image. Northward, Pacific, you're starting to think, you know, Northern California, that area. The northward trek up the Pacific coast keeps the Cubs in the same type of Pacific Ocean air that dominated in San Diego and in Orange County. Here in San Francisco, the Cubs can expect similar conditions to the other two series, with the typical exception that San Francisco will, of course, be breezier. So Friday night is a 9.15 Central Time start. It'll be cloudy. The temperatures will be in the low 50s, and the winds will be blowing out to center, right center field uh, at 15 to 25 miles per hour. Saturday night is a 6.35 Central Time start. It is mostly cloudy, becoming all the way cloudy. It'll be in the upper 50s, falling to the low 50s, and the winds will again be out to center field and right center field at 15 to 25 miles per hour. And then finally, the, there will be a little bit of sun by mistake in this series in San Francisco. It'll be a Sunday at 3.05 Central Time start. It will be a mix of clouds and sun. Temperatures will be all the way up to the low 60s, and the winds will be again out to center field and right center field at again 15 to 25 miles per hour. So no mention of fog from Alexander, hmm. but you were correct, of course course it'll be chilly it'll be cloudy it'll be uh, breezy as befitting that ballpark by the bay so it sounds like it'll be a pretty typical uh, early to mid-june excursion out there to san francisco uh, so thank you as always to alexander for providing us the weather be sure to follow at cubs weather run by alexander and andrew and colin three wonderful and meteorologically inclined individuals a great account to follow as the cubs continue on this road trip and generally uh, playing outdoors, outdoors being an area that is always affected by weather. Yeah, That's awesome true. ballpark there in San Francisco. Always fun watching it. It it looks really nice on TV. Uh, makes for great imagery. And the Giants are uh, playing all right baseball right now, thirty one and thirty uh, here in the National League West. Now you, you know you mentioned. Do you have any emotional reaction to Angel Stadium? And the answer is no, because the Angels haven't really been relevant to the Cubs. San Francisco, that is a ballpark that I think all Cubs fans will have an emotional reaction to, yeah. courtesy of the 2016 National League Division Series. Uh, all those shots of the kayaks and the boats out in the bay as the Cubs completed that great comeback to clinch the series. So that is a ballpark that will always generate a little bit of an emotional reaction if you're talking about its connection to the Cubs for me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely right. And uh, Alexander, they're talking about sort of the imagery driving up the coast. That's something I did last summer. Um, I've done it in the past, but it was nice to do it again, um, starting from L.A., a couple of days up the coast, settling then in San Francisco for a few days. Randall, someday I look forward to spending some time in Santa Cruz, California with you. They got a big boardwalk there right on the water, arcade games, rides, pretty good stuff there on the water as you get a little bit closer to San Francisco going up the coast there. Um, so I was thinking, you know, if I were retired or a millionaire or both, Whoa. how nice this road trip would have been to start with the Cubs in San Diego, drive up to Anaheim, continue up the coast to San Francisco. Uh, one of these years, we'll get a chance to do that and see the Cubs at all these West Coast sites. Well, I hear you have to watch out for the banana slugs in Santa Cruz. They are everywhere. So that's a, a caution you have to be aware of out there. It's a very neat part of the state there. Uh, but Cubs, let's get this figured out here as the season uh, continues to slip away from them. But we'll be back next week. Cubs are coming home after all of this. We'll get a chance to talk Andrew McCutcheon and the Pittsburgh Pirates next week. Randall, uh, you can go back to bed now. Uh, time to go back to sleep here. We'll see you next week on Behind the Yellow Lining.